is The Talking Dead, a podcast dedicated to the AMC TV show, The Walking Dead. Hi, my name is Jason. And my name is Chris. And this is The Talking Dead, episode number 577, recorded Thursday, March 24th, 2022. It sure is. Hey, gang, welcome to the podcast. Jason, how's it going this week? Um, it's going okay. It's, it's going okay, I think. For a Thursday, it's 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 okay. I've, I've never really gotten the hang of Thursdays. You know, Thursdays aren't bad. They, at my office, they call it Friday Junior. Yeah, Friday Light, or, you yeah. know, Friday, Friday Eve. Yeah, I, I don't know. That's obviously not a unique thing, but every single Thursday at our 11 a.m. status meeting, someone starts it off by saying, happy Friday, Junior. Oh, well, that's nice. Yeah. I remember uh, being in rehearsals and Julia would also would always, we'd always rehearse on Tuesdays and Thursdays. So she would always say, uh, uh, happy day of Thurs. Well, that's a good one too. It's a good yeah. one too. So I, I use that every now and again. That's when you were playing in a band and you put out an album and everything. I bet people yeah. would love to hear that. Uh, maybe, you know, there was a, there was a song on that album called The Lucky Ones, which is the name of an episode that happened uh, a couple of weeks ago. Good, good point. Yeah. Now listen, is it available anywhere? No, good Lord, no. Oh, <laughs> so we're just teasing everyone. Like I have a copy around here somewhere. I, I, I have two copies. I could just put it online. Maybe I should do that. Am I allowed sure. to do that? I don't know. It's not like uh, the copyright holder might come after you. Which is who? I'm not really sure. I think it might be me. <laughs> it's either you or Scott, probably well, Scott. Well, Scott and Julie and I, so it's the three of us. And uh, we, I think the way we worked it was Scott had 50% and Julia and I each had 25 because Scott wrote the songs. Right. So I think he took the majority share of... Uh, the mechanical, well, not really royalties. Yeah, the copyright. So, uh, yeah, it's the three of us. Well, I mean, I it says said it says so on the album what the copyright is, but yeah, there's I, also an address which has no bearing to reality whatsoever. Right. I should dig through the boxes of old compact discs I have and see if I can pull it out. I mean, it 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 wouldn't be completely insane to like throw the songs up on YouTube or something, right? Like, could we do that? Yeah, I might reach out to Scott and just make sure it's okay, but yeah. All right. I don't see why not. Okay. It's well, not like we're making any money on it or, you know, putting them on YouTube is going to cost us any royalty money that we normally would have gotten elsewhere. No. So. Well, I think I think that would be fun. I th I bet you people would like to hear your old band. I mean, you're, the, the drumming on that album is top notch. Well, yeah. Well, the, you know, performance by... Pro Tools, sounds by Jason Miles, uh, performance by Pro Tools. And it wasn't, the album was mixed. Who, did, who was it? Was it mixed by that mixing guy we know who's rather Joa. famous? Yeah, it was Joa. Oh, look at that. See, that guy, he's like well-known oh, in the industry. he's fantastic. Yeah, Joa Carvello. He was, uh, he was amazing. Yeah. Uh, yeah, he produced the album. It was, uh, it was great. He was, uh, yeah, he was great. Anyways, top-notch talent went into that record and the songwriting is good and- I think people would like to hear it. Anyways, we'll talk about that more later. I the think band was called Space Elevator. There's another band called Space Elevator at the moment that's out there doing stuff, yeah. but uh, we were the Space Elevator from the early 2000s. Right. The original Space Elevator. Yeah. Just just like we're the original Talking Dead. 
That's right. Yeah. See, it, it was because Scott and I had a. We were living together at the time, and we. Uh, I was talking to Scott about uh, you know what a space elevator was, and he got mad at me because that uh, that sounded ridiculous and uh, it didn't make any sense. You use rockets to get into space, not a space elevator. That's stupid. And we got into a fight about it, so we called the band Space Elevator. And then you, yeah, got over it and started a band, and the rest is history. There you go. Cool. All right. Well, that's fun. We'll see about that some other time. Uh, but right now, of course, it is time to do the listener feedback for the most recent episode of The Walking Dead, which was called Warlords. And as usual, I'm going to mention the number of million viewers as reported on the Wikipedia page for the list of Walking Dead episodes. And this one's up a tiny bit to 1.79 million. Fancy. It sure is. <laughs> <laughs> that's a that's a fancy number. One point seven nine. Yeah, yeah, very fancy. One point sure. seven nine up a little bit, uh, especially since last week, and up from the last couple of weeks too. So, there you go. One point seven nine. All right. Without further ado, let's get into the feedback. Listener feedback. Now, there is one particular topic this week that we got a ton of feedback on. And that is, of course, the whiskey drinking finger. Yeah, it was very prominent. Very, very prominent. So we are going to go through a lot of that. And I did want to say that I hope there's not too much overlap in people's comments here. I tried not to overlap too much, even though everybody wanted to talk about it. It also meant that I edited a lot of people's calls and stuff like that. Uh, so please don't be offended if your call is edited a little bit. It's just for time and to you know, keep things moving. Um, I hope you can forgive me if part of your call was cut out. But that being said, um, yeah, tons of uh, commentary and theories and all kinds of stuff about the uh, finger dipping in the whiskey. Yeah, as there should be. As there should be, exactly. Yeah. Um, now, having said that, we're going to start with a call from Reese in the UK to kick us off. Uh, which is not about the finger dipping, but after that we get right into it. So okay, well I'm glad you brought it up now then. Well, I just wanted to say because I felt it would be weird to interject after the first call, so oh, I see. just setting the setting the scene for the rest of the podcast. You got it. Here we go. This is Reese in the UK. Hi, Chris and Jason. It's Reese from the UK ringing in about season eleven, episode thirteen, Warlords. Well, we wanted a spicy episode and we got a spicy episode. This felt a lot more Walking Dead and uh, reminding me kind of like the earlier days in The Walking Dead where we sort of come up against these other groups like the cannibals and stuff like that back in the day. Um, Yeah, I wasn't expecting it to go the way that it went. It kind of uh, spiralled out of control pretty quickly in this episode. Uh, I found it really cool. Uh, I liked all of the stuff with Negan and Maggie and... Just everything. Everything as a whole was always good, man. And freaking Gabe is just a legend. Um, I feel like we're learning a lot more about the Commonwealth, but I don't know what to take away from it myself. Like, I don't know whether it is that the lady leader for the Commonwealth is actually maybe the the, the more genuine person. Uh, and maybe it's the other guy who's not so genuine. The other guy, I can't think what his name is, but the, the, the better cool soul guy. I know he doesn't really look like him, but you know what I mean. Um... But yeah, I just, I can't make up my mind with this one. Also, the cliffhanger. Oh man, I was just like, brah, why? Why would you do this to me? Don't put a cliffhanger in there. <laughs> anyway, love the podcast. As always, guys, stay awesome. Thank you. Bye. Thank you, Reese. So he's talking about Lance, the uh, yeah. Better Call Saul guy. And what do you- Why do they call him the Better Call Saul guy? Does he look like Saul Goodman? No. Or yeah, kind of. Like, 
Uh, oh, really? It, it's okay. it's the look. It's the the way he dresses more than anything. That's the thing. It, it, oh, it's, a little outlandish, a little loud. Yeah, okay, I gotcha. Yeah, for sure. It comes up again later, and and he's we've had two or three listeners point or refer to him that way. So, uh, it's not that he was on the show, which I thought maybe was the case originally. It's just Lance reminds people of Saul. I restarted uh, Better Call Saul. I'm getting uh, I'm getting ready for the the new season that's coming out in April. So. Uh, I'm on season three already. Oh, nice! You're powering through. I'm not. I'm not messing around. I'm. I'm going to power through. Yeah, God, it's so good. I'm really looking forward to that. But my TV watching queue is big right now, and I'm yeah. falling behind because I'm busy with other things. But um, Reese, uh, he was talking about what Lance is doing and how he's thinking that you know Lance appears to be the real bad guy from the Commonwealth, not Pamela Milton, who originally you think, oh, well, she's the leader. She's the head of this thing. She's going to be at least representative of how terrible they are as a community. And she's going to be the bad guy. Right. But like, what if she's not? What if she's actually trying her best and trying to work for good? And it's Lance that's just throwing the what is it? Snake in the mailbox and screwing everything up. Um, I don't think that's quite the right uh, metaphor, but what if Lance is the bad guy? I think it's really going that way. I think so too. I think Lance is being set up as the, uh, the bad guy for the remainder of the season. Right. In the the remainder of this 11th seasons. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I mean, that's, it, it really seems like it's going that way. He's working against, Pamela actually in a lot of ways um, with everything he's doing you know he's just in it for himself as we've been over and uh, he's going to be the one that causes <laughs> whatever destruction happens let's put it that way uh, I think so and I and I don't really know what that is but Lance is not so good nope all right next we have a call from Monica here we go now into the alcohol finger Hi, Chris and Jason. This is Monica from Seattle. I just listened to the Warlords recap and thought I would give you my take on the Toby alcohol finger. Fun fact, I used to be a drug and alcohol counselor and I'm six years sober myself. So I actually totally bought the finger tipping. I think when someone has an unhealthy relationship with alcohol but isn't quite ready to totally give it up, they give themselves a lot of weirdo rules to keep their drinking in check and convince themselves they're still in control. You know, like, I'm only going to get drink beer, no all hard alcohol, and only on Fridays before 8 p.m. if I happen to be wearing pink underwear, etc., etc. Where if you didn't have a problem, you wouldn't need those extensive rules to keep your drinking in this box. You would just live your life. So this seems like Toby's weird version of that. I think it also illustrates how, man, this guy is right on the edge. Right on the edge of going ultra-violent, right on the edge of, like, kicking back that whole bottle of whatever it was. So, yeah. I like Toby's fingering. Wait, I mean the plot point. That's part of the story. I mean, I'm sure his finger's fine. Ugh, okay, okay. (laughs) I'm just gonna go now. Thanks for giving us all a place to ramble. I am super curious to see what or hear what everybody else's take is. Thanks, guys. Bye. 
Now, Jason, if I was a different kind of person, yeah, I might say something here in jest like, Obviously, Monica loves a good fingering, but I, I would never say something no, like that. No, you would never say that. That would be rude and it, uncalled for. Would, yeah, totally. And I, okay, I don't, I'm, I'm glad. I'm glad you're not going to say anything. I, I, I don't want to be that kind of guy, but um, I, I do think she uh, has an interesting take on uh, what, uh, what's up with with Toby. Uh, he's, he's right on the edge, and he has weirdo, as she calls them, rules for for drinking, and his happens to be, I'll only dip my finger in it. And yep. lick it off my finger. And then that, that's fantastic. First of all, uh, congratulations on six years, Monica. That's fantastic. 100%. Uh, so, and I understand when I was uh, a smoker, I uh, would put rules on the smoking, as, uh, on my smoking as well. There was one time I recall specifically that I said to myself, I will only smoke when I'm with Jenny, who is now my wife. So I said that I will not smoke unless uh, Jenny and I are out together. Uh, because we'd smoke together. And we went out to a bar and to dinner every night for like 11 days in a row, I think it was, oh, uh, just because I needed to smoke. So it'd be like, hey, you want to go for dinner? I'll buy you dinner. Let's go for dinner and have a beer or whatever. And we go to a bar. That's when you used to be able to smoke at a bar, uh, which you can't anymore. Uh, but yeah, those, uh, the rules can backfire easily, right? It's like if, if I'm only going to smoke when I'm out with, uh, with, out with my girlfriend, we're going out every night, mm -hmm. every single night we're going somewhere where I can smoke. So I can understand that, you know, if I'm only going to drink alcohol from my finger, I'm going to be sticking that finger in every drink that I come across. <laughs> right. <laughs> and of course you're going to be wearing your pink underwear too, like Monica said. Well, you know, that just goes without saying. Yeah, I mean, whatever rule that goes with is, uh, you know, you know, I got tired of picking out socks. I, you know, I despise picking out socks for my son because he has a million different socks and they <laughs> all have different pairs and stuff. Yeah. I got tired of doing that for myself uh, a number of years ago. Uh, so I keep buying all the same sock. All uh -huh. my socks are the exact same brand, exact same color. I don't have to look for pairs. I just grab two fucking socks and I have two socks. I did the same thing with underwear. All I have is, <laughs> you know, 50 pairs of pink underwear uh -huh. and I just wear them all the time. So uh, whatever rule that includes wearing pink underwear, that's just a given. So it doesn't really work for me because I'm always always wearing pink underwear. Okay. Well, I mean, it's the little things in life that you got to keep simple, right? And then you can worry about the big stuff. Do you know how hard it is to find boxer briefs in pink? <laughs> well, in that case, buy white and wash them with a red towel. You'll be good to go. Uh, you know, that's not a bad idea. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Thank you, Monica, for that call. Next is an email from Gabby in Texas. And Gabby writes, in regards to that creepy dude's finger licking habit, I think it is just him tempting himself with the taste of alcohol and proving to himself that he doesn't need it. He is obviously a sociopath or psychopath, but I think he's also a narcissist. He only does it when he feels threatened. So perhaps this habit serves as a reminder to himself that he is the almighty powerful being who cannot be driven astray by anything or anyone. So I guess she's referring to the fact that, uh, um, Lance in that scene was threatening him with, you know, taking away his uh, status or his new job, not really a status, the job that he likes, the more peaceful job. Um, that's what Lance threatened. And so having a, a finger of alcohol makes him feel a little 
powerful over that. Uh, I don't know, but but maybe. Maybe, maybe you know, it's a coping mechanism of some kind. If I'm all, I'm only going to drink alcohol from my finger. Yeah. You know? And so, and if you feel threatened, you feel like having a drink. So get the get the alcohol on the finger. Let's go. Like a pacifier, maybe, right? Like you know, oh yeah, ba- baby has a pacifier, makes it feel better, makes it feel more comfort. So he's got his whiskey finger, which he sticks in his mouth, and he's completely his his stress level goes down. He he feels good about life again. Super. Yeah. All right. Next, we have a call from Anwin. Hi, Chris and Jason. Um, I've got some thoughts about Toby Carlson. Um, I thought everything that he did on screen was quite captivating because he was so hideous and horrible. Um, Even when he was at the start and you sort of thought, oh, he's just a CIA guy who wants to stay on the straight and narrow. He was still had such a kind of revolting energy to him and then when he went completely nuts I just thought yep that's who he is Um, but regarding the finger in the whiskey scene my take on that is that he's an absolute full-on addict and he's obviously been sober from alcohol for four years he says says that he has I think the finger in the whiskey thing is just to illustrate that he's right on the edge of falling off the wagon at any time and I think that relates to his alcohol but also to his violence so he's clearly addicted to that extreme violence so he says he didn't want to do it he likes the job that he's doing Um, and then he gets sent out and at the first um, opportune moment he um, brutally kills Ian and then kicks him after he's dead so I think it's just to show that he's right on the edge um, and can flip at any moment Um, and that's why they showed that kind of scene with dipping the finger in I think there's a little bit of that power play thing too as well just to sort of show that he's not completely subservient um, to Lance Um, but overall I think it was really just to illustrate um, how um, close he is to like complete abandon and complete madness at any time so I'll look forward to seeing what else happens with him but I really hope he's dead by the end of that episode and I really hope that he um, is dead by Aaron's awesome mace hand thanks so much for all you guys do bye Thanks, Anwen. So I think she described him as having revolting energy, which I think is a great way of putting it because he really is a revolting dude, right? He he is, yeah. Yeah. Uh, And then him sort of being on the edge and um, that's that's clear to me as well. You know, he's he's definitely riding the edge of something because he's all over the place uh, and, you know, can revert back into ultraviolence with a dip of a finger as it seems um so and and then the final thing she said was just about a bit of a power play right let me ask you this question jason if you were standing there with a drink in your hand and somebody approached you and you were having a conversation and they were standing right in front of you like that and they dipped their finger in your drink and licked it off would you feel intimidated by that person uh probably I'd be annoyed with that person. Well, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I'd probably say, what the fuck, dude? Get your finger out of my drink. Here, you might as well keep it. I'm not drinking your finger drink. It's yours now, yeah. You fingered it, it's yours. Uh, no, I, I would. I think I would feel intimidated. Because anybody who gets that close to me would probably make me feel uncomfortable just to begin with. Oh, yeah, 100%. I, I wouldn't want to be in that situation at all. Uh, I don't know that I'm an easily intimidated 
intimidatable person. Is that a word? I don't know. Sure, I don't understand. I don't see why not. Okay, but it's this, very rare that somebody intimidate tries to intimidate me. Well, it yeah. I mean, actively tries to is pretty rare. I mean, people who do that are kind of jerks, right? But like, I I don't know. I I don't really feel intimidated. I might by someone who is, um, just overbearing or something like that, right? Like I used to. I used to work with a guy who used to say crazy stuff and he'd, he'd put you on the spot and he, you never knew what was going to come out of his mouth. So being around him was a little nerve wracking sometimes because you just, you felt like you were not in control of the situation of your own personal situation. And I interpreted that as him being an intimidating person because I just didn't want to be around him. I don't know if that's the same thing, but that's really the only time I can think of. And I think if that guy had come up to me and stuck his finger in my drink, I actually think it would have done the opposite. And I've been like, you're not intimidating anymore. You're just weird. And I don't want to be here. So I can't imagine ever being in a situation where someone would put their finger in my drink. I I can't even imagine it. First of all, I wouldn't have a drink in my hand. I might have something non-alcoholic. It doesn't make make a difference. No. Whether it's alcoholic or non-alcoholic. I'm not sure I'd ever be uh, around anybody that would do that because I generally don't go around people. Right. (laughs) And when I do go around people, they're not people that would stick their fingers in my drink. Well, and that's sort of what I mean though. Like if you suddenly were in that situation and someone did this, it would, in real life, like it would be revolting just like Edwin said, but, uh, also just super weird. Except for my son. My son would, he, I don't recall a specific incident where he has done that, but I wouldn't put it past him. No, that's different though. I mean, he sticks his, the food in his own drinks. It's like, okay, well, I have French fries. I have milk. Why not put the French fries in the milk? Yeah. This is great. I love it. (laughs) And he would stick his finger in there and it's just like, get your hand out of your drink. Oh, listen. I, I've been thinking about something that I've uh, hesitated to say on the podcast because I don't think, I don't know if I believe this story, but someone also once told me a story, Jason, about being in a male strip club where the mm-hmm. dudes were naked. And um, this person told me that one guy stirred somebody's drink. If you oh, yeah. know what I'm saying. Not yeah, I got you. Got to put his penis in the drink and yeah. stir it around a little bit. I understand. Okay. Well, good. I'm glad you, uh, you had spelled that out for everyone. And I believed it at the time when this person told me, but I'm not sure I believe it now because really, I mean, that's a way to make someone uncomfortable. Well, it's a health code, code violation. It, I'm that sure. Too. Right. Oh, so, yeah. Uh, you know, would they still have the, the green sign saying that their, uh, that their establishment is up to code when the, the staff is putting their penises in people's drinks? Uh, probably not. <laughs> no, probably not. I don't think that's allowed. But. I mean, except uh, in Montreal, that's a whole well, different you know, thing. Montreal, you know, all, all bets are off. Right. You know. That place is crazy. That place is crazy. Anyway, uh. I can't say that I've ever heard of anything like that from people I've known that uh, either worked at or went to male strip clubs. Frequented, per se. I oh, I knew a guy that that used to. He was a bartender and a, a waiter at a male strip club. Oh, cool. 
But uh, he said he wasn't a stripper, but I never went to his job to verify. Let's just say. <laughs> so you never know. And I never know. He's just, this is what he said. This is, I guess this is what lots of people say. I work at a strip club, but I'm only a waitress or I'm only a waiter. <laughs> right. It's like, right. And it's a way to make, to, to sanitize their, uh, their profession. I suppose. I suppose. Well, that's the story I heard. That's way worse than a finger. Uh, but I'm also not sure I believe it. Sounds like an urban myth to me. Yeah. I mean, if you stick your finger in your mouth and then stick it in somebody's drink and then stick it back in your mouth, that's pretty bad. Like, yeah. uh, I don't know. Was that yeah. worse than a penis? Uh, yeah, come on. I don't know. I don't know. It's, it's tough to say, right? Uh, it's. Your I, mouth is a pretty fucking disgusting yeah, place. Either way, it's pretty bad. Is it more disgusting than your penis? It could be. <laughs> <laughs> right? I, I don't know, man. Are you asking me or are you just asking no, generally? I'm asking the world in general, you know, uh, on uh, a sliding scale of uh, is your mouth dirtier than your penis? <laughs> listen, most of the time when a question comes up on this podcast, I love to get answers from listeners. Now, I'm not so sure. Yeah. This kind of went, uh, this went sideways. I think so. And so, it wasn't my fault for once. No, I know. That's why I hesitated to bring that story up. Not only because I'm not sure I believe it, but th then again, the source of the story is a person I would believe, tend, I would normally believe. I can tell you who it is later, but I can't say it on the air. Well, no, you wouldn't say it on the air, but no. uh, yeah, I, well, you know, perfectly trustworthy people that are uh, sincere and honest go to strip clubs. Well, that's right? not the question. The question is where he got this information and 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 it, it, why is he passing it along but anyway is it first-hand information or is it you know uh somebody you know heard a story once where somebody went to a strip club where this happened i'm actually not sure about that okay so this this could be so this has a an urban legend feel to it uh, that's what i'm thinking now yeah but you know there are places that do weird shit with naked people on stage uh, montreal Exhibit A. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, if this is an urban legend, nobody specified a locale, right? No, that's they true. They didn't say it was in Toronto. No. You know, if it was in Montreal, fine. Yeah. Stick your I'm, penis in the drink. I'm that's, more inclined to that. happens that. there. <laughs> you know, when you go to a strip club, strip club in Montreal, you expect this kind of behavior. So, uh, yeah, if that's what you're looking for, Montreal's your, your, your jam, man. Yeah. Well, I think we should probably put that behind us and yeah. move on to the next email here, which is mine, right? I don't know where we are. John in Mahopak. That's I'm, you. Yeah. I'm not even sure I'm pronouncing that right. Sorry, John. Uh, John writes, I think the Carlson guy was sober for four years. He drank when he was an assassin. And once he got a new job, was able to sober up. Lance forcing him back into his old ways is sending him back to the bottle. He needs to be drunk to do the things he does. Having him lick his finger is just a dramatic way of showing that. I believe the point is to show how wicked Lance is. A threat from him can get a reformed assassin to go back to drinking and murdering rather than having to deal with whatever Lance's veiled threat was supposed to mean. Right. And just to, uh, you know, reiterate the threat, that Lance put out there was that he can take it all away. Mm -hmm. um, not necessarily make him go back to his old job of being an assassin, but make his life really difficult by taking away the, the cushy stuff he's got here going on in life and, right. the, and the things he likes. So 
Uh, yeah, and, and again, I think this just once more reinforces how much of a bad dude Lance actually is. If you are talking to a uh, you know a professional assassin and murderer, uh, and you want them to go and start murdering, do you threaten them to get them to murder somebody? It does, that seems like a risky thing to do. It does feel like a poor idea. Yeah, yeah. It's just like, I really want you to murder somebody for me, so I'm going to threaten you in order to get you to do it. Good way to get yourself murdered. Yeah. You don't, you want to get murdered because that's how you get murdered. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. Lance seems to have, it's funny because in that way, Lance seems to have all the power in this situation, right? He's able to threaten this guy back into doing what he wants. That being said, we've already talked about how dipping your finger in someone's drink is kind of a power move in and of itself. So we have two powerful forces butting heads here and one has to win out. Uh, yeah. And I guess threats win over finger dipping for now. For now. I mean, right. it's a delicate balance. It is. Yeah. But, you never know. Yeah. All right. Next, we have an email from Tom and Jennifer on the internet. And these guys are first time emailers I wanted to point out too. To the, to the show. Like, this is not the first email they've ever sent. Well, actually, I don't know that, but uh, probably, yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, uh, Tom and Jennifer write, Toby was drinking this, this way because he was on his way to relapsing. He was feeling the effects of small amounts uh, at a time, which will trigger the large cravings and get him back to full drink binges. The only thing about that, Tom and Jennifer, is that it kind of sounds like, maybe I'm misinterpreting, but it kind of sounds like he's he's uh, going for this. Like, this is what he's doing on purpose. He's like, I'm going to ease my way back in to full on alcoholism. Yeah. And usually that doesn't happen. Right? No. Usually it's uh, you fall off the wagon. It's, it, you don't just have a, you know, lick a, some drink off a finger. You drink, take, take 10 drinks and yeah. see what happens. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, that's, that's just what I was wondering about there, but you know, it's the whole thing is kind of weird. So you never know what might be going on. Mm -hmm. All right. Next up is Tice in the Netherlands. And he says, Toby's finger dipping in the whiskey is just addict's behavior. A, var a variant on the one sip is not a problem and usually followed by a relapse and drinking after some time. It appears to me that they are using this to indicate his becoming unhinged after the order to provide a surgical solution for this problem. I believe he might actually have been sober for years and the stress of this order is causing him to relapse into old addict behavior. Yep. Yeah. And that, that seems very true. Um, but also, it also seems very quick, right? He's standing in the room. He says, I'm doing great. I haven't killed anyone in four years. I love my new life. Uh, Lance goes, yeah, but I can take it all away. And he's immediately dipping his finger in the drink. So yeah, maybe a little bit of shorthand to depict what Tice is talking about, but uh, I don't think it's incorrect to, to uh, view it that way. I agree. All right. All right. Next, we have a call from Lucy. Hi, this is Lucy from AZ. I just wanted to comment about the um, Warlord, Warlords episode about um, Toby and his weird finger habit of licking the booze with his finger. Um, when I watched it, I just kind of interpreted, interpreted it as um, like letting us know as the audience that something's wrong, like mentally with him, and that he's just not quite right. And um, it also reminded me of how like, 
you know, I've always heard you're not supposed to give recovering alcoholics like alcohol, even in their food, because it can cause them to relapse. And um, so I kind of interpreted it as this was his way of like getting back into his old mindset of when he had to like work for the CIA and do, you know, bad things or whatever he did as a spy or assassin or whatever. And that was just his way of getting into that I don't know, space in his head. So anyways, that was what I thought about it. So, okay. Thanks guys. Great podcast. Bye. Yeah. So Lucy, I think now we're getting into it, you know, in, uh, for real here. And I'm, I'm just going to go ahead and play the next call, which comes from Matt and he kind of crystallizes it or this kind of idea. Hi, Chris and Jason. It's Matt in Oklahoma city and holy crap. Did you see that? I've been listening to your podcast since the first episode. I never miss it. It's the first time I'm calling and I have something to contribute. I'm calling in regards to Toby dipping his finger in the alcohol. In an earlier scene, he stated he's been sober for four years. He's relapsing on alcohol as he relapses on his past life of violence. Hope this helps. Take care. All right. Thanks, Matt. And thanks, Lucy, for both of those calls. I I really do think we have come to what the show was trying to portray with this. Yeah. You know, he's, he's got this new life and he's sober. Uh, and all of a sudden that new life is taken away. And so is the sobriety. So he, he, you know, he's relapsing on the alcohol, as Matt said, and back into a life of violence. And that really feels to me like what the show was trying to show us and tell us in this scene. And of course, later on, when he he uh, fingers another bottle and drinks it, right, as he's pushing people off the roof, or just before he pushes people off the roof, and that's a pretty violent thing to do to yep. people. Um, so, you know, after all this, I think everybody has had great uh, takes and theories on it, and there's little, and there's parts, there's truth, partial truth to all of them, I think, in a way. Um, Within the world of the show, I think this idea of relapsing, whether it's booze or lifestyle, is really what they were going for. Uh, yeah, we're, we seem to be getting consensus here that uh, we definitely have a correlation between the uh, the, the slippage back into uh, drinking and the slippage back into m- murdering. Right, totally. And so just to um, cap it off, we got one more call here. Uh Technically, I guess you're supposed to introduce this one. Yeah, it's a call from someone named Jason that is not me. All right. Very good. Uh, And I must admit, Jason here just kind of has a a funny way of expressing the same thing. So (laughs) let's listen to him. Toby, I love that character. I loved everything about him. I like this crazy fool. This dude's out of his mind and I'm here for it. He loves alcohol and he loves murder, as you can see. So once Lance Hornsby a.k.a. the Better Call Saul dude, um, triggers him and gets him going, he's off He's off and running, man. He loves all of it. So he's going to lick his fingers and get the alcohol in him, and he's going to murder. <laughs> so thank you, Jason. He had a longer call like that, but he loves alcohol and he loves murder. Yeah, I, can, I get that. And, and I'm sorry. <laughs> I don't mean to laugh at something like this, but it it's a TV show, people. I mean, that was kind of a funny way of, of looking at it. Yeah, for sure. Uh, and Better Call Saul Guy, you see, comes up again. So a lot of people think Lance Hornsby is Better Call Saul-ish. 
Or- okay, I can, I can see it now. Now that I've, uh, uh, I'm, I'm correlating the clothing choices, uh, the wardrobe choices from uh, this guy and and uh, Saul Goodman. Yeah, uh, yeah, I can see it now. All right, very good. Okay, next up, an email from Chris in the UK, and this one is related to drinking, but not the finger drinking. Chris says, on the whiskey drinking point, I think it's a character choice. Lance drinks whiskey, but he doesn't like it. It's something he does for status, and it speaks to the uh, odd masochism we saw when he started shooting walkers at the end of the last episode. He's being dangerous. I think we're in toxic masculinity territory here. Lance feels the need to assert his manliness precisely because he is terrified that people will think him weak, and by implication because he is. Proper men drink whiskey, or at least in Lance's head they do. And so Chris is referring to the problem I had with it, the way he'd take some into his mouth and then jerk his head back to like get it down his throat. Yeah, yeah. And it indicated to me that he doesn't really like it. And I didn't really think of it other than that. I just thought, you know, why make him do that if if that's the way they're going to portray it. But Chris makes a good point here. He's doing it because he thinks he should. And it's the kind of man he wants to be, even though he isn't. Yeah, and I can see that too. I mean, that's why I started smoking. Because uh, there was something that I felt that I should be doing. It was actually a new New Year's resolution to start smoking again, and I it was the only New Year's resolution I kept. Uh, but it it was the person I wanted to be. I wanted to be that smoker, so I decided that I was going to be a smoker, and I fucking hated it because it was cause smoking's gross. Mm-hmm. But I worked my way through it, and uh, I I managed to get through it. So I can uh, uh, I can see that, you know, and and. <laughs> Really, this is how anybody starts drinking. Like drinking alcohol is not good, right? I mean, it's it's the, the general, first time you've ever had it. General consensus is it's not good for you. Yeah, despite well, not good all that, for you, like, but uh, doesn't it taste awful? Don't you have to work through that barrier to enjoy alcohol? I, I don't at least know. Hard liquor. I, I I don't feel like I ever really had that problem. I no, I've, it's just me then. No, it's not just you. I, I've talked to a lot of people that that are like that, um, and many of them just be like, no. That's not good. I'm not going to have that again, which is probably the right decision, but uh, it's not just you. Because I remember drinking, uh, you know, being uh, somebody offering me what was supposed to be a, you know, a really, really good bourbon. Mm-hmm. And I tried that bourbon and it was fucking disgusting. Yeah. Uh, you know, I was in Singapore and we went to the uh, the restaurant where the Singapore sling was invented, which includes apparently gin. And, uh, you know, it was a $20 drink that we paid for. Got a, got a Singapore sling in the place that it was invented in Singapore. It's a, you know, a, a milestone moment in your life. Sure. I did not drink that fucking thing because it was disgusting. I mean, have and- you ever had a cocktail that you liked? No. Well, Never. maybe. Okay. I like tequila. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> I like tequila a little too much, I think. So uh, anytime I've ever had tequila, uh, I don't know whether it's a, what what's the cause and what's the effect, but every time I've ever had tequila, I've had a fantastic time. Sure. And I'm not sure uh, that I have tequila because I'm having a fantastic time or I had tequila and therefore had a fantastic time. But every time I've ever had a shot of tequila has been a milestone entertaining evening. But but you just drink, like you haven't had it in a long time because you just oh, don't drink decades. anymore. But yeah. 
but you you just have a like a shot of tequila with the salt and the and the lime and the, the lemon, lemon or whatever yeah. yeah um like you ever had a margarita you must have called that's got what what kind of alcohol that's vodka or no that's gin? tequila that's why i oh, asked is it then yeah. no i don't then apparently not okay no but uh, the, it's the, it's the ritual of it you know uh when i was a smoker uh, it wasn't just a smoking. It was the ritual of, uh, you know, lighting the cigarette, the ritualistic breathing, the, uh, was the whole mystique around it. It wasn't just, you know, I need the fucking nicotine in my lungs. Yeah. I liked the, uh, the idea of it. And even when, uh, at the end of, uh, where I quit smoking, it, uh, I wasn't enjoying the cigarettes. I wasn't smoking because I wanted a cigarette. I was smoking because it felt like the right appropriate time to have a cigarette mm -hmm. you know so it's like okay i i need a break from work this is the time where having a cigarette would make sense so i'd go and smoke or i'd have a walk time between uh leaving the subway and a 10 minutes before i would get to my destination perfect opportunity to have a cigarette right right so and it, once i recognize that it's like i don't want this cigarette i just feel like the ritual demands that this is the appropriate time for a cigarette so at that point is where i decided to quit sure. and that I would just cut that out. And it wasn't that hard for me. It was still hard, but it wasn't uh, as hard as it had been the previous times I tried to quit. What the hell was my point? Uh, <laughs> drinking is hard and I've never gotten over that uh, barrier to entry. Sure. Uh, it, it, every drink of hard liquor I've ever had other than tequila has been disgusting. Okay. I, I guess that's the case for some people and, and, like I said, you, you didn't have that. I don't recall having that. No. I mean, some people have their first beer when they're, you know, a teenager. So or I did. Whatever. Yeah. And well, you know, some, my dad gave me a drink of his beer when I was you know 10 or something like that. Well, yeah. But a lot of people, when they have their first like own beer, they're like, this is gross. Many people don't like it. And I guess they, right. they, I, I mean, when you're young, you know, fucking peer pressure is, is uh, strong and maybe they just peer pressure through it and eventually start liking it. I just don't remember ever having that, but see. I don't know. My, I don't remember a lot of things, so I could have just forgot. It's from the drinking, I think. Oh God, hope not. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's get, let's move on. I, yeah, I, we, uh, too, we this is getting too personal. <laughs> yeah. Where the hell are they? That was Chris in the UK. Okay, next we have a call from Jennifer. Yes, and I want to say Jennifer is her in her car, so the quality sucks. I apologize for that. Um, but I'm going to play it anyways, so hopefully this is listenable. Here we go. Chris, hi, Jason. This is Jennifer from Minneapolis, and I'm sorry that I'm calling in the car, but I was just listening to your recap podcast for this week's episode, uh, 1113, and you guys are talking about uh, Lance Hornsby drinking the whiskey and tilting his head back in that weird way, which I totally noticed, and... The thing that I thought of when I first saw the episode was um, they are drinking, or he is drinking the same whiskey that Gabriel and Aaron drink with the Terminator guy. Um, it's the Dwayne Jones whiskey that they were drinking, which uh, Gabriel said was like in, in the before times was like $2,000 a bottle. To me, this is saying Lance Hornsby is drinking this extremely expensive whiskey, and he just does not give a shit. And to me, that is saying something, that he's drinking this very expensive beverage and really not caring to savor it or not caring to enjoy it. Um, 
totally knows what he's drinking because of the wine situation, knows what he's drinking, but just does not care. And I thought that was a really awesome touch in the show, and I think that is a very um, evident of the type of person that he is. So I just had to call and tell you that. I'm sorry for the car noise. I'm stuck in traffic, but I had to throw this out there because I don't want to be too late for the podcast tonight. So I hope to hear from you guys soon, and thanks so much for everything that you do. Bye. All right. Thank you, Jennifer. Uh, no worries. I'm glad you got your call in. Uh, anyways, just, a, a, you know, more on why and Lance was drinking and the way he was doing it and, you know, related to Chris's point, it sort of he's doing it uh, because he thinks he should, but also he just doesn't care. He's, he's, you know, he's that kind of guy. So after hearing all of that, Jason, and everything, you know, about the finger dipping and so on, it occurred to me that it's amazing, actually, how much we seem to be able to learn about these two characters strictly by the way they drink their whiskey. Yeah, absolutely. You know, we've talked about this one scene almost for the entire podcast so far, and it's revealed lots about Toby and about Lance, their relationship, their past. You know, it's actually pretty amazing when, when you think about it. Uh, it. It's a really, really good example of show don't tell when it comes to storytelling in yep. a visual medium. It's a very rich tapestry. <laughs> very rich tapestry. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. Thank you to everyone for that. We're going to move on, though, into other things. Finally, move away from the finger dipping and head bobbing and stuff like that. Cool. This call comes from... Chris. Hey guys, this is Chris from San Diego. And I want to say that I just watched the most recent episode of The Walking Dead, Warlords. And while I was watching the title sequence, I noticed the names of the actors that were going to be on the episode. And I see Michael Bean and I'm like, what? Is that the guy from Aliens? The original Terminator? The Abyss? That dude, he's been in a bunch of 80s action movies. I'm like, oh yeah, I know that guy. Is it the same guy? So then I see him come on the screen, and I almost don't recognize him at first. I'm like, oh, who's this bad guy? And then lately, later it kind of clicked on me that I'm like, oh, yeah, that is the same guy. Uh, I thought it was a fantastic episode. One thing I was not too excited about was all the different time jumps. We're going forward in time. Now we're going back in time. Now we're going 12 hours in time. Now we're going in the middle of this, middle of that. It was kind of jarring, but I thought overall it was a pretty good episode. Um, I was kind of worried about... Uh, the guys that were going into that uh, house or that apartment complex to kind of get these new people to come in. And I knew something was shady with, uh, I'm not sure the guy's name. We'll call him uh, Captain uh, Killjoy. Uh, he was the guy that was wanted to go in there and uh, take everybody out and take their weapons back or whatever the story was. I'm thinking that this whole like Commonwealth is starting to become a little bit like, um, some kind of oppressive army that's trying to just take out everybody and being like this world dominance around the world kind of reminds me of England back in the day, the old days, how they used to be everywhere, traveling everywhere and taking everything out. So, but anyways, fantastic episode. I love what you guys are doing and I hope to hear you. All right. Thanks, Chris. First of all, he's kind of dunking on England there a little bit, but uh, you know, the Commonwealth, are they, are they all evil? And they're, they're, they're truly just trying to take everyone out. You wouldn't think so based on the fact that there's 50,000 people there. At some point, I mean, some people they're going to have to take in and integrate into society. And in fact, Daryl and uh, Carol and most of our 
group have moved into the Commonwealth, so they haven't killed them yet. That's true. Uh, so I think maybe it's just Lance, and he's the one doing all the dirty work, whether it's sanctioned or not. Uh, I don't think it is. But no. Yeah, I would agree. I don't think so. Um, what about the time jumps? Chris was saying he didn't love the time jumps, and I got to ag- agree with him partially. At first, I didn't like them, but again, but after watching it again, and I could get my bearings a little bit better, I thought it worked really well. Any any thoughts on the time jumps, Jason, or I, time jumps had, in general? I had no issues. I thought they were fine. Yeah, but then I watched uh, Dunkirk, and I didn't have any issues with the time, uh, the strange timeness of that movie either. Oh boy. I saw, did you, no, you didn't. I don't think I saw Dunkirk in the theater. I didn't see it in the theater. I had trouble keeping that movie straight and I've only. It was tough because we had different, uh, you know, some, uh, plot lines had different, uh, theory, different sets of time. Uh, It wasn't just jumping around in time. It was just like, okay, this, this plot is taking place over three days, Mm -hmm. whereas this other plot is taking place over the better part of an hour. Yeah. Uh, You know, and it was, uh, it was difficult that way. For sure. I, that was a huge difficulty for me watching that one. Like just different um, time durations, right? Or whatever. So, but uh, yeah, that one was weird. Um, But in terms of this episode, Having the titles on screen kind of helped, right? It brought it all together. It, it, well, you need to, right? Like they've, I think so. they've done this in the past, uh, where was it this show where they had a, a time jump and it was in a different color scheme? Uh, the past was more sepia toned, and uh, or am I thinking of something else? Was that fear? I they've, I mean, this show's done time jumps, of course. We've moved around in time within episodes and things like that. Uh, actually. In uh, earlier this season, when we pan across Maggie and we go to six months later, right at the end, and then Daryl shows up in the armor. Yep. I feel like that was, that might have, maybe that's what you're thinking of. We went from kind of a more warmer color to a colder color because their relationship has cooled off a little bit. (laughs) Yep. Okay. Obviously, maybe that's it. Um, But yeah, I think it came together well in terms of the time jumps and uh, the titles certainly help, right? Even though yeah. that one that was like one week and one hour ago, I'm like, oh, come on. <laughs> so. Yeah. All right. Next, we have an email from uh, Ishmael in Florida. Hey, guys. When you mentioned theatrics with a different with the different villains and groups in recent seasons, it got me thinking about the Vatos in season one. Although not on the same scale as the uh, Saviors and Whispers or even the Heroes in the Kingdom, they were definitely portrayed as real bad guys when first introduced. It wasn't until the next episode that, the se- that we see that they were only putting on an act and were actually just workers at an assisted living facility. Uh, maybe one of the greatest lines of the entire series was when the leader, Guillermo, uh, told Rick, I'm paraphrasing, that he was going to chop up Glenn and feed him to the th- feed him to three of the nastiest dogs he's ever seen. And then we come to find out that there were three chihuahuas. But then the tension in the scene made the Vatos sound more like a vicious gang. I see a lot of similarities with the Vatos and this recent group group. Uh, I do agree that the theatrics have definitely been turned up over the seasons, but there have been theatrical elements over the entirety of the series. You know, I didn't, we didn't realize it at the time because that was so long ago. Yeah. But maybe, you know, and I think we've said this before, maybe that's what you need to truly survive in the zombie 
apocalypse had a little bit of appreciation for the theatrical. Mm, the theater, yeah. Yeah. I mean, as a leader and just as a group, it, uh, it serves to confuse your enemies, maybe. Yeah. So I guess, you know, I've often said that if there was an apocalypse, uh, especially a zombie apocalypse, yeah. uh, that I wouldn't survive very long. Mm-hmm. So uh, maybe as part of my apocalypse prepping, uh, I should probably put together a plan of what themed gang I would start. Uh, you know, gather my neighbors together and uh, make sure that uh, the theme is solid so that uh, when we go out in the world and try and survive, that uh, people know who we are and uh, maybe we're more intimidating uh, because we stick our penises in other people's drinks. <laughs> that's the theme of your gang, that's, eh? That's the theme, yeah. <laughs> Disgusting strippers. Well, I know I'd stay away. <laughs> yeah, well, who wouldn't? <laughs> right. Uh, okay, good thought. Good thought. Okay, I didn't know where that sentence was going when I started, just so you know. Sure. I wasn't, I didn't, I wasn't, uh, I was surprised as anybody that it went that way. Of all the themes you could go for, Jason, you chose dick dipping. Well, yeah. Of course. I can't get it out of my mind, Chris. You put it in my mind, I can't stop thinking about it. (laughs) I'm sorry about that. How would that work? Just even the logistics, like what do you do? You got to lean over the drink uh, or do you you pick up the drink and you hold it and and like, uh, like what's. How does it work? I I do think the the owner of the drink has to be uh, involved in this to a certain degree. They have to be complacent that this is happening. Yeah. Do you say, "Can I borrow your drink?" And then you you you, you dip it, and then you give it back, or do you oh, like just you know don't move, and then you kind of straddle over the drink, or God. or do you do like do you do you, do you do like a tea bag kind of thing, where you you dip it and. I have questions. I don't have answers. <laughs> Am and I, I going to have to start going to male strip clubs in Montreal? Is that what's going to happen here? Well, and, and dude, start asking strippers questions. If you need to do the research, I'm all for it. <sighs> You're going to be lying in bed tonight, going, "Why did we talk about this?" <laughs> I don't know. And <laughs> or, I keep bringing it up. Yeah, what, whatever. All right. Thank you, Ishmael, for that. Next is Chris in the UK. He writes, the Commonwealth is all theater, perhaps more so than any community we've seen so far. What makes it more stark for the Commonwealth is that everyone is knowingly putting on a show of some sort or another, pretending to be happy, pretending to fit in, pretending everything is okay, pretending to know more or less than they really know, pretending they don't see the underprivileged and the extent to which their suffering is required to achieve our comfort. In previous communities, only the leaders were acting, which is interesting because the Commonwealth is the closest we've seen to modern society. Is the show saying we all put on an act to some extent in order to survive in civilization? We sure do. I mean, whether the show's saying that or not, Chris, I think it's true. Pretending to be happy, pretending to fit in, pretending everything is okay, pretending to know more or less than they really know. Uh Uh-huh. That sounds a little too familiar for me. That sounds like a Thursday for you. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So, uh, yes, I mean, this is commentary on current society, right? If you go back and you look at the governor, he was the one putting on the theater. Ezekiel, he was the theatrical one in order to give his people something to look up to. I mean, in the Commonwealth, yeah, everyone, everyone seems to be doing this. Now, 50,000 people, we don't know what your like average day-to-day plumber is doing. Well, maybe we do. We do. We just, we saw, we know a plumber. We do. We do know a plumber. Um, But, you know, I mean, I'm sure there's other people that are just going about their life, but 
otherwise, boy, it's all just pretending to be something. Yep. Pretty wild. All right. Next, we have a call from Tim. Hey, Chris. Hey, Jason. This is Tim, formerly from East Lansing, now from Redford, still in Michigan. Just calling in to give you guys some feedback on the latest episode and talk about a couple of characters in particular. Negan felt a little out of place to me. Obviously, I didn't think they were going to write him out like that, but I was curious as to how he would pop back up. Um, I see this new group really as just something for Negan to lose. Um, If things going forward are going to put Negan in a spinoff, it makes me think that this could be part of that emotional baggage that he now has to carry with him or a reason for him to leave this area and just say, screw it, I'm out of here. We'll see how it plays out. My biggest worry uh, coming out of the storyline is that something will happen to either Aaron or Gabriel because they are two main characters who seemingly have some good stuff going for them. Obviously, they're caught up in this situation, but I feel like one of the two of them is going to have to face some dire consequences before this, the show ends, and it's going to make me pretty sad. But both of them are doing a great job. They're killing it right now, um, being you know members of Alexandria. They're really trying to make things work at the Commonwealth. I'm just curious to see how it all plays out. Shit kind of hit the fan, and, and now we have to just buckle in. But guys, I appreciate what you do. It's been so much fun. And it really keeps me going on The Walking Dead. I think more than than anything else, this podcast really helps me along. And you guys just have a great attitude about it. And the banter, the sidetracking, it it all just works so well to make this such an enjoyable experience. So I really do appreciate that, guys. Um, And the community has been so awesome with this last season. Everyone's really coming in and leaving their feedback and first-time callers. And it's just it's really cool. So I, I love being a part of this community. And I figured it had been maybe a couple of years since I called in. So I wanted to give you guys another shout and I'll talk to you guys soon. Peace. Amazing. Thank you so much, Tim. So I'll start at the end here on this one, Jason. I, you know, I, I don't normally leave in too much stuff like, like that about uh, how great we are uh, because, you know, it's, we don't, uh, it feels like tooting our own horn a little bit, but and I want to know how great we are. Oh yeah. We already know. We, yeah. We already know that we don't need other people to tell us. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> but I, I wanted to leave that in because Tim mentioned just the, the community in general. And I, I hundred percent, a thousand percent agree with him. Yeah. And it's been so great to hear from new people and all the people we've had, uh, throughout the years doing this. And, um, it is absolutely wonderful and it's nice to uh just have someone express that so that is amazing now of course um all of that's probably at the window after the freaking discussions we've had this episode so tim tim's probably never going to call again but <laughs> <laughs> what are you going to yeah. do <laughs> yeah um so but anyways thank you to tim and thank you to everybody else that's amazing uh going back though to what he said about negan uh, yeah so negan pops up again he sure does. He wasn't gone that long. And everyone sort of knew his story wasn't over. He wasn't just going to walk away from Maggie that day and never show up again. Um, but is is what Tim is saying here, uh, is there any truth to it? I think there might be. And how here's a group that we don't know how Negan got involved with them. Uh, we don't really know what his relationship to them is. He seems to have been there for a while and he definitely knows them and presumably cares somewhat for these people. So is this going to be used as a way to give Negan something to lose? Because, you know, a huge storytelling device is character loses something and strives to regain it, you know, or get revenge or, okay, fair enough. Get revenge. But that's like a story framework. That's pretty common. 
And yeah, I mean, it happened to Luke Skywalker. Why wouldn't it happen to other people? Why wouldn't it happen to Negan? Exactly. Uh, and and so I wonder, right? Um, as as an audience to this show, uh, you know, a lot of people look at Negan much more favor favorably now than they ever have before, and part of that is just time has passed. Uh, but also part of it is just the actions Negan have taken has taken lately, and they had Negan in this episode kind of go out of his way to try and help uh, help people that he knows, right? He sent, uh, what's his face, Jesse on that horse to go warn Maggie, tell her Gabe and Aaron are in trouble. Yep. Anyways, Negan is somewhat back in the good graces and he seems to have connected with this community. So if, if we as the audience can connect with them and him this way, if suddenly he suffers a loss because all these people are wiped out or whatever. Is that a thing? And is that going to make the audience feel even more sorry or better for Negan? I wonder. Uh, yeah, we're setting up the hero's journey for, for Negan. And the, the beginning of the hero's journey is the call to action. And then the, uh, you know, that could be a loss, right? Somebody kills your dog or somebody kills your uncle Owen and Aunt Peru uh-huh. or, or something along those lines. Yeah. And then you have to go off into the world and try to make it right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So. Well, that's what they could be doing with Negan. I, I think it's going to be a bit of a hard sell, to be honest, for us to really understand Negan's connection to these people. If indeed losing them is what, you know, sets Negan on a true path of redemption, because we've only just met them. And to be honest, I think most of them will be gone by the end of next episode. It sure seems that way. It feels that way. And again, people have seen this ep- next episode already. You and I have not because we wait to do these podcasts before we watch. Um, so there's probably people sitting, you know, at home right now going, oh, you idiots, you're so wrong. But I mean, that's not like that's the first time. <laughs> so, and, and Tim, I think that being from Michigan is probably the best state. It's my favorite state. Oddly enough, I love it when people are from Michigan because it's easy to, to show people where you're from because you say, well, where are you from? I'm from East Lansing. And it's like, well, where is that? You just hold up your hand and point to it because Michigan is shaped like your uh, your left hand and you point to where on your hand East Lansing is, which happens to be right in the middle or you're from Traverse City or you're from uh, uh, Flint or wherever. But you can just hold up your hand. If you're from the Upper Peninsula, you have to have your other hand up and then you can point to that. But uh, you can absolutely just point to where you're from in Michigan on your hands. It's great. Well, <laughs> that's pretty good. That's good to know. <laughs> yeah. So. so if I ever go to Detroit, I can be like, I'm right there. Yeah, yeah you're going right there. Okay. Yeah, Fair if enough. you're going to Traverse City or uh, uh, there's all kinds of places. And uh, there's some lovely country in uh, northern Michigan uh, specifically because that's where I spent most of the time that I've spent in Michigan is in the Upper Peninsula and uh, around Mackinac and up there. But uh, there's some, it's absolutely beautiful. So Tim, don't feel bad about still being in Michigan. Uh, yeah, Michigan's great. I haven't been to Michigan in quite some time and I would love to go back. Uh, right. we, we're actually planning a trip to uh, to Mackinac City and Mackinac Island uh, this summer. I think we're going to go. Wow, fun. I don't even know where that is. So point well, on your hand. <laughs> it's Well, it's right at the tip of the finger. Okay. <laughs> the tip of the uh, tip of the tip of the middle finger. It's uh, it's it's uh, there's a really really long bridge between the upper peninsula and the lower uh, 
the lower section, there's uh, the Mackinac Bridge, which is like a like a mile long. It's fucking huge. Cool. Yeah. So, uh, and it's an hour south of Sault Ste. Marie. So you take a you drive south on the I-75 for an hour and you get to the bridge and you're in Mackinac City, which you take a ferry to Mackinac Island and there's all kinds of good stuff around there. Good times. All right. Sounds like fun. I'll meet you there. That'd be great. Okay. Uh, where are we next? Is it my turn? I think it's my turn. It is, sir. This is a call from Designer Will. Hey, Chris and Jason, Designer Will with feedback for Warlords. Now, I really enjoyed this episode for all the time jumps, the overall structure, and a few of the surprises that we got along the way. I did not like this episode for the way the Riverbend community was portrayed. I mean, if they have that many candles burning in their building during the day, 10 years into the apocalypse, they must have raided all the candle shops within a 500-mile radius. Also, you think they spent a lot of time practicing looking menacing and just standing around? Looks like the people of Riverbend could use some jobs, maybe some sunshine, a little bit of levity. I don't know. Uh, Also, when Aaron and Gabe were speaking about not approaching the Riverbend building, I literally shouted at the TV, this is why we need an Aaron and Gabe spinoff show, not Carol Darrell, not Maggie Negan. I just think these two have the best chemistry. Oh, well. What do you guys think? Talk to you guys later. Thanks, designer. Well, Aaron and Gabe, I mean, Tim mentioned them as well. You know, they've got some good stuff going and Tim was worried about one or both of them not surviving. And designer Will comes along and says they have great chemistry. And then it got me thinking about how their episode during the bonus season 10 episodes were one of my, was one of my favorites. Yeah. Um, And not just because the Terminator was in it, but because of their chemistry on screen and uh just the way they got along so the more i think about it yeah an aaron and gabriel show actually i think would be kind of awesome at what point does uh you know the number of spinoffs uh turn into a show fracturing right so you have uh instead of just having a spinoff here and a spinoff there that actually shows fractures into like seven other shows where each all of the main characters survive and they all go on to, to headline their own shows. Right. Yeah. That's well, never happened. You know? So as far as TV history goes, let's do it. As far as quality television, I'm not so sure, but, uh, I'm willing to give it a try. Sure. Why not? I mean, yeah, it may never have happened before, but the walking dead universe is a big place or at least AMC wants it to be. So why not? Why not? I just, I, I just kind of agree. Like I've never been that excited about the Daryl and Carol show and those are good characters. You know, there was a time where I think you said Carol was your favorite character on this show. There was a time. Yeah. And I don't know if that's still the case, but it is not. Okay. Well, there it's you Aaron go. at the moment. Well, see, <laughs> <laughs> or Gabe actually Gabe. Yeah. It's tough to quit. This is why, this is why I wanted Aaron and Gabe spinoff because uh, I'm having a tough time deciding between the two. So I don't want to. There you go. Um, but if you put them together on their own show and make them go on missions and Gabriel can fall in mud every episode and get it over his entire face and head, that's yeah. funny. <laughs> well, will we have a preacher and a one-armed man going through the, the world with a, with a mace hand? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, a couple of kids in tow? Uh, this could work. Good point. Very, very good point. I, I like it. I like it already. I mean, if someone, if I was TV executive sitting in my huge office at the top of my billion dollar tower uh, on a giant pile of money and someone came to me and said, I got an idea for a TV show, a preacher and a one-armed man. One-eyed preacher. Sorry. A one-eyed one- preacher, one-eyed murderous preacher 
and a one-armed man with a spike prosthetic. Yeah, I'd this, be like, it sold. sells itself. Yeah, yeah sold. Shut up and take my money. There you go. Shut up and take some of this money I'm sitting on. Yeah, yeah. Uh, thank you, designer Will, for that. Oh, he he mentioned the candles and everyone standing around at Riverbend looking menacing. I agree. I think that was a little bit over the top. Um, I kind of didn't mind the candles and the vibe of the place, but I still think people standing around looking menacing was kind of dumb, even if it was just an act to make everybody they just brought in feel uncomfortable. Yeah. I mean, I don't know where paraffin comes from. So paraffin wax, uh, you know, if you had a bunch of bees, you could make uh, candles out of beeswax. Mm-hmm. That could work and be a sustainable kind of option. Uh, the oil for the lanterns, I'm not so sure, without the, uh, you know, access to whale blubber, because I don't know where oil comes from either, but I do know you can make it from whale blubber. Okay. Uh, but there's probably not a well, lot of whales where they are, uh, nor would I recommend killing whales. Maybe finding a beached whale and using that before it explodes, because they fucking explode. I know, it's and weird. it is gross. <laughs> yes. I, I can't imagine. Anyway, uh, that's pretty gross. So, but I don't know where they're getting oil from. I don't know where it comes from. Like, uh, I don't know where they're getting their sustainable uh, um, candles and stuff. Yeah. I mean, maybe they don't uh, run these things all the time. And again, it was all part of the act. Just oh, it's part of the theater. Yeah. Let's get the stage up and running. Let's get everybody standing in the hallways with their costumes on, people. Uh, learn your lines. <laughs> light, the, light the stage. Get Positions, the lighting going. Positions, people. Yeah. Yeah, we're at first positions. Yeah. We're on in five. <laughs> Someone open the door in four. Perfect. Three. Perfect. Oh, and the doors had squeaky, nice squeaky bolt latches things, uh, which were awesome because uh, they actually started to squeak before they were being moved. It was a nitpick I noticed, but uh, like they were very loud. And when they were closing the door and they started latching them, uh, they started to squeak and clang before before they actually moved. It was that, funny. That reminds me of like tires squealing on a gravel road. Oh yeah. On, yeah. Yeah. It happens often. <laughs> uh, yeah. Good stuff. Well, cause, yeah. and like when you move a gun, it, it makes a cocking sound just because you move a gun from the position by your, uh, by your hip to, uh, up to pointing at somebody. Sure. It makes a sound. How else would we, as the viewers know it was a gun? Yeah. Okay. All right. Next we have an email from Justine in NorCal. I wanted to comment on the iPhone featured in the latest episode of The Walking Dead. I also did a bit of a spit take when it first appeared, but I find it much more believable than how Aaron first shared photos of Alexandria, printed photographs. Remember when we first met Aaron, he was carrying photographs of Alexandria in his backpack? I think it's far more likely that people could find a way to charge an old iPhone that still works than find a film camera, find film that is still good, Find someone who knows how to develop the film into negatives. Find photographic paper that is still good. All the equipment needed to project negatives onto that paper. All the chemicals needed to coax the images out of the paper. And finally, a human who remembers how to use developer, fixer, and stop bath. Sounds to me like Justine is the person to talk to because none of that I would have known. I agree. Except Uh, for, you know, requires paper and negatives. Yes, and film. Um. I agree, Justine, uh, the more, you know, I think about it and based on your comments, uh, that, you know, maybe it does make a little bit more sense. And our next call from Scott, uh, mentions the same thing. So let's get into that right now. 
Hey guys, Scott from Kingston. Just wanted to touch on a couple things. So um, one was you guys are doing the ratings recap and it might seem a little counterintuitive, but I wonder if AMC is actually happier when the ratings are lower. And my reasoning for that might be that I don't really think too many people are going to stop watching the show at this point. If they're still watching, they're in it for to the end. Um, so I wonder if like a decline in ratings actually means that they're switching over to AMC Plus um, and they're not watching it like on whatever device gets ratings anyway just a thought um and then also about the episode about warlords um just wanted to talk quickly on the um the iphone the smartphone thing that they had um because i know chris was saying like would you use the energy to power a iphone or whatever and i'm thinking if they have like ready to go ice cream at all times and they're baking cakes I don't think the amount of power to charge an iPhone is really significant in their world. Um, and I kind of agree with Jason. Like, I don't think it's unreasonable to expect that there'd still be a working phone 10 years into the 10 years after the apocalypse. Um, now, if it was one of my phones, it would definitely be broken because I'm the worst with dropping them. But <laughs> I'm sure there are people that could still have a good working phone. Um, and then I also thought it was like a nice fun callback with Aaron bringing that and then showing the pictures on his phone instead of like when they first met Aaron in season five, episode 10. And he was bringing in the, like the pictures of Alexandria and showing our group. Um, and he also called it an audition during that episode. I actually happened to just watch it recently. And, uh, so it was interesting hearing the leader of this other community, ask if it was an audition because i know aaron used that term but he didn't like it um back then anyway that's all i got keep up the good work thanks bye nice thanks scott so after justine's email and scott's call i'm actually kind of on board with the iphone i felt it was still a little jarring to just pull it out and see but when you think about it too like if the world ended tomorrow jason there'd be dozens hundreds of apple stores sitting there full of unopened iphones right yeah and every zombie uh that you met would have a goddamn smartphone on them that's true too good point but uh, but i mean like brand new ones right so one, it's not like we have a a world full of used and abused phones with batteries that are half decharged and stuff like that we have fresh ones and plenty of yeah. them so yeah, and a lot of you fix-it stores too, which have replacement batteries and tools and mm -hmm. uh, detailed instructions that probably aren't printed out, but whatever. Sure, but still, I, it, it, it no longer feels unlikely for me that there would be a working phone even after 10 or 11 years. So I have a working phone. I'm telling you that my, uh, that some of my original iPhone still works. If I wanted to charge it the last time I charged it, I did it for just fun. I have an old friggin' iPack that, uh, that I have that still works. I have a Palm pilot that still works. Good God, man. Yeah. Recycle some of these electronics. No way, man. This is my archives. Oh, I, yeah, I'm, okay. I'm kind of sad that I sold my original Xbox uh, at a garage sale. Uh, I thought it was a good idea at the time because it was big and it was bulky. And uh, I just, I sold the whole thing. And I, I, ever since then, I felt bad. Well. Because it's in my, it's in my electronics archive. Right. You have a museum in your basement of all the electronics you've ever owned. Yeah. It's a, it's a box that's just over there. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> it's a museum in a box. Well, anyways, I'm I'm okay with it now. Uh, I don't want them to start pulling out phones constantly on this show, but as a photo delivery device, I suppose I'm yeah. okay with it. 
I mean, it, it's it's one of the uh, one of the things you can do with an iPhone that doesn't require a network connection. Well, exactly, right? exactly. <laughs> yeah. You're not getting a working SIM card in there, but or you know, a working cellular connection, but you can still take some pictures. Can you imagine sitting down at a computer that did not have internet access? Oh, not anymore. I wouldn't know what to do with the thing. <laughs> I'd be like, um, uh, solitaire. Oh, <laughs> I don't even know if my computer has solitaire. No, I don't know. And if it did, I probably uninstalled it. If I'm <laughs> if using a Windows machine, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, what the hell's going on now? Okay, we have uh, an email from Jeff in Texas. It was weird to see an iPhone. It was weirder to see a finger in another man's whiskey. But what I found most odd was that Father Gabriel mentioned clenched, clenched butt cheeks. What did you think about that? So he mentioned clenched butt cheeks during the sermon he delivered, which I said I really, really enjoyed. And I thought... Uh, he did an amazing job delivering those lines, and I completely bought it all. And the line about clenched butt cheeks was used to illustrate how everyone in the church, when asked to sit beside a stranger, which they don't normally do, you know, he said he saw a lot of stiff backs and clenched butt cheeks because people were nervous and it made them uncomfortable a little bit. And he was using that to just portray that. Yeah. And the, the greater point was that you know, out in the apocalypse, you, you, you find people, you meet people and you come together and you survive and there's no uncomfortableness about it because it's life or death. But in here, I ask you to sit beside someone you don't know and your butt clenches up. So what, what's the deal? Uh, and I also think that in that kind of situation, it's a little unusual maybe for a person in his position to use such a phrase. So it lightens the mood a bit. And it, does. It, it makes people feel more comfortable and, and connects him with the the people. Yeah. And I and think it's, there's nothing wrong with it. It's nothing inherently no. bad about saying that somebody or that a group of people has clenched, like saying you have clenched butt cheeks or I saw your butt cheeks clench <laughs> is weird. But saying that to a group of people that, you know, that uh, they may be as a euphemism for maybe experiencing anxiety. Yeah. Uh, is another thing, right? Like saying it in the aggregates, fine. Saying it to someone, I probably would recommend against that. Right. I agree. 100% agree. And um, it's it's okay. It it makes it fine and it makes him feel like, it, it makes the people feel like he's one of them and he's not somebody a, sort of better than them up in front on a stage speaking to them, right? Right. So I like it. I think it was pretty good. Thanks, Jeff, for that. Uh, next is Phil in Adelstone, Surrey in the UK, and Phil writes, I just wanted to mention after hearing Chris say that he didn't think they were going to add new groups into the show this late, I believe it's because they are going to need worthy fighters in the final battle. Most of the Commonwealth people look like standard civilians who have survived by getting lucky at the beginning of the outbreak and finding a safe place. Most have probably never even killed a zombie, let alone lifted a gun. We only have a handful of decent fighters in Alexandria and Hilltop, so we need to up their numbers. So the question I have, Phil, is what final battle? Yeah. What, I mean, are we leading to some sort of big battle? I mean, I guess, you know, there's a lot of fighting that goes on on this show. Are, are we talking about a battle with the Civic Republic? I mean, that would be a worthy adversary and probably someone who would uh, kick a lot of ass. Are we talking about a battle with zombies? I don't know. I don't know either. I don't I could be interested to see what a final battle would be. Yeah. I mean, 
there's a there's an assumption and a fair assumption with this show that everything leads to a large conflict in the end. I mean, if past history has taught us anything else on The Walking Dead, there's a lot of conflict. Uh, there is. But, but we don't know. We don't know what the outcome of it is going to be over the next, uh, what is it, 11 episodes or whatever's left. Yep. So I don't know. If they're introducing a group to just bring on more people that can fight, maybe. But I don't know what we're fighting yet. We will find out. Indeed. All will become clear in the fullness of time. My dad used to tell me that all the time. Really? Yeah. He used to use that phrase a lot, actually. That's cool. Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. Well, I'm using it independently of your father. Very good. All right. Next, we have an email from Karen in Los Angeles. Los Angeles? At Los Angeles. One of those places. Yeah. First off, Jason, I love it when you talk about your five-year-old because he sounds a lot like my five-year-old. I laughed when you said he will wear three hats to school because this morning my son was trying to get it past us that he was wearing two pairs of shorts. Anyway, I wanted to comment that I like Maggie, but I have a bone to pick with her parenting style. Was she even going to tell her son that she was going for as long as it takes? He ran out like he didn't know she was leaving, and who the hell is she leaving him with? Maybe it's a COVID thing, but basically, uh, but she basically just gave him a hug and said, see you soon. Mike, uh, I kiss my kids anywhere from three to 10 times before I dropped them off at school for a measly six hours of freedom. <laughs> of freedom. So I feel you, Karen, believe me. Yeah. Yeah. I love totally. my son. I want him to be happy. And part of uh, him being happy is uh, being socialized uh, with other kids somewhere other than my house. Uh-huh. And you getting a chance to you know, do your work and things like that. So, yeah, you know, my, uh, my number of hours of freedom where I don't have to worry about whether or not he's, uh, got everything he needs, including entertainment, uh, is fantastic. It's more, it, I'm, I'm adamant, adamantly sure that it's more about him than me, mm -hmm. uh, him being away for six hours. But, uh, you know, I don't discount the fact that I can breathe. Totally. And in terms of, of uh, Maggie leaving, I mean, I do kind of agree. She just kind of up and left. Like, she was there at that truck, I think it seemed like before having said goodbye to her son, and it re relied on him running up behind her and going, hey, you're going again? Yeah. I mean, come on. That, that would not be a thing in real life, but luckily this isn't real life. Um, it is not. And uh, But I get it, Karen. Yeah, it seems kind of silly. Like, it, it doesn't feel like it would be that hard to throw in a couple of realistic little like goodbye scenes, uh, but maybe it is like, maybe that's a lot of extra shooting and time and stuff like that. I don't know. Yeah. So, and, and I understand, you know, uh, dropping your kids off at school and, uh, kissing them a bunch of times and hugging them a bunch of times. I, I don't necessarily do that, but I have two, two things that happens when I drop off, uh, uh, my son at, uh, bef before school. So it's, uh, before, uh, before school care program uh, at the YMCA runs and it's run uh, or it's, it's uh, the administrator is friend of the show, Dave. Yep. So someone uh, we've known for 20 years and I lived with for a number of times and uh, he was at my wedding. I was at his wedding, all that kind of stuff. So I know Dave. Yes. And so dropping Jasper off with Dave is an absolutely comfortable thing. I'm, I'm sure he's in good hands and I'm sure he's being entertained. Uh, so I have no concerns about, you know, dropping him off uh, in the mornings or picking him up in the evenings. The other thing is that uh, as we're walking towards the school, the second he sees Dave, he's forgotten that I existed. 
<laughs> he is already talking to Dave about whatever he wants to talk about his umbrella or the Hulk or drawing pictures because Dave's an artist uh, and draws comics and stuff. Uh, so he basically it's just I'm I'm an afterthought. There's, no, there's no thought about me whatsoever. It's like, hey, it's Dave. It's my favorite guy. Like, oh, bye, Jasper. <laughs> Yeah, well, that's okay. I mean, some kids have a, that's fine. a lot of anxiety, you know, about going to school and stuff. And I don't know if he had that originally and got over it, but it's nice that he can go and feel comfortable with uh, other people. Yeah, well, not really, uh, because sadly, uh, after uh, about 14 months after he was born, he was already starting to be, go to daycare because mm-hmm. uh, Jenny and I both had to work. So he's been, uh, you know going to all, you know, day long care, uh, for as long as he can remember. So he's never really had that anxiety. Yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, some kids do, but any, anyways, as you said, he's in good hands. He very much is. Unlike Herschel, maybe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> little, it's just little Herschel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Him running out. It's like, oh, are you leaving? So like, yeah, I'm going like get lost. Oh wait. You know, Jeez. I should have, should have told you, eh? Yeah. How long are you going to be gone? How long are you going to be gone? It's like, I don't, I don't know. Get, get out of here. As long I'll as be it back takes. When I, I'll be back when I'm back. Yeah. Shoo. That's right. All right. Thanks, Karen, for that. Next is Beth and KC. I assume that's Kansas City, uh, but I don't know for sure. Beth says- Kentucky? No, that's KY. That's KY. Yeah. KC, Kansas City, I think. All right. All right. Beth writes, you guys were discussing what Eugene's job is. Good question. But he must be an author. The Commonwealth Commonwealth must have authors because they sure as shit have nail technicians. When Pamela Milton put her toes in the ocean, she had a pedicure. It made me insane. Who gets fucking pedicures in the zombie apocalypse, even if you do live in a safe community? And you might be thinking, maybe she painted them herself or got her douchey son to paint her toes. But that style on her toes is called a French manicure or pedicure in this case. And it's fucking hard to do yourself. And that job looked pro. Anyway, it really upset me. Took me right out of the show. So my point, if they have nail techs, they sure as hell have authors. (laughs) (laughs) I just love that email. It was so passionately written about having nail technicians. And if you have those, you got to have people to write books too. Do they have strippers, you think? Well, Ian said they they must, right? But then Father Gabe said, I haven't seen any of that. (laughs) Well, he hasn't been there very long. I guess so. Yeah. I don't know. He's only and, got one eye. Maybe he's, you know, maybe he's, <laughs> all the strip clubs are to the right. Yeah, that's right. And he can only see one way. I don't know. I should point out too, that the, the toes in the water thing was in the previous episode, but yeah, it's all a rich tapestry, as you said, that feeds into our understanding of the Commonwealth. I have an aversion to feet. I don't, it's, it's not really a, it's not just that I don't have a, a foot thing. Cause I definitely don't have a foot thing, but I have a, you know, whenever I see feet, I get annoyed. <laughs> I don't know what it is. Feet just annoy you. Yeah. It's not that I don't like them or anything. It's just like, why do you have to have your feet on camera? Like, why? What is that a thing? I'm sure it's a thing. I but... mean, are, are you okay with people putting their feet up on a on a foot on an ottoman, like a foot rest? Like in real life? Yeah. yeah. I have no problem with that. Okay. No, even if it's bare feet, that's fine. It's just, uh, you know, why put your feet on camera? Okay, so like, it's photographs the... of feet that you don't like. It's, it's, you know, I'm watching TV. I don't want to, uh, I don't want to see feet. I don't know what it is. I don't, it's, it's, uh, like I said, it's not an anti-foot thing. I don't have a thing against feet or anything. It's just that, uh, you know, I do notice it when it's on film or on, on, uh, TV shows. It's like, you get your friggin' f- 
bare feet out. Uh, was that really necessary? Well, that's here's the thing, right? You know how some people say uh, they won't do nudity, they won't go naked in a movie because unless it's absolutely essential to the plot line. I yep. mean, maybe that's how you feel about feet. Like, what if the feet are essential to the story? I can't recall that ever being a case. <laughs> if somebody took their clothes off, that'd be fine. Like, if they were completely naked and they, you know, had bare feet, whatever. Well, you can't be you know, naked if you're wearing shoes. Uh, that's true. So... So anyway, uh, I don't. I'd much rather people take their shirts off than take their shoes off yeah, on TV okay. and movies. Well, fair enough. But anyways, the point is, if they got nail technicians, they've got authors. I did not notice the pedicure. Like I did, it. I think my my brain just, uh, you know, it, the the needle in my brain just went right into the red, and I stopped seeing. Right. It's just like feet. <laughs> feet, I'm going to squint my eyes and pretend they're not there. Yeah, feet, I don't got nothing. <laughs> well, you know, it, it reminded me of when Christina used to watch the show with me. She does not watch it anymore, but it used to annoy her to no end that um, Andrea, remember Andrea way back on the show? I do. I used do. to have like great nails and she was always like, this is the frigging zombie apocalypse. You're not going to have nicely done nails for crying out loud. Well, it's not like uh, the actress is not going to get her nails done. Right? Like, how do you, like, you're not going to get broken nails and get them all dirty and stuff just for the sake of a part. I mean, you ever looked at Norman Reedus's nails? Well, he would. Yeah, he would. <laughs> he would for sure. Anyways, uh, yeah, good nails, bad nails. Jason doesn't like feet. Well, it's not that I don't like feet. Sorry. It's just that uh, I don't like, I don't see the, the need for having feet in my entertainment. All right. Fair on enough. TV and movies. <laughs> Fair enough. I just I just don't see it. All right. Next, we have an email from Rita in South Orange, New Jersey. During the last podcast, you were trying to figure out what job Eugene had and why he didn't seem to be doing it. When he arrived at the Commonwealth, he was given a work order for being part of a high school teaching pool. So I'm guessing either he lost his job after committing a crime in the first 24 hours there, or isn't, uh, or there isn't a free position in the high school at the moment. You know, this is the second sort of email in a row here about Eugene's job. And again, this was from the previous episode, but uh, I don't remember receiving that information about the high school teaching pool. Was that in the show? And I just don't remember it. Like nothing. No, I don't know. Yeah, I don't it know. It makes sense and I don't disbelieve it, but I don't recall it. I, I, totally. I believe it. In fact, I... I have no reason not to believe it, but I just don't recall seeing it. So maybe we just didn't focus on it. Uh, but, you know, high school teacher seems like a good job for him. And, and the I point didn't of, believe I didn't see this before, but he actually, this character reminds me of a high school teacher I had named Mr. Zidkowski. Okay. And he was amazing. He was, uh, he, ta he taught algebra and geometry and he was just this uh, weird guy that would uh, take like four blackboards because uh, they used to have blackboards. Now they probably have whiteboards. Uh -huh. But uh, he'd take four blackboards to, to be working through this algebra equation thing and doing all the different math and stuff to show us what's going on. Uh, and he'd be like three boards into his four-board proof, and somebody would point out, like, Mr. Zidkowski, shouldn't that be a, a, a negative one instead of a one? And he'd go back and look three boards previously and be like, thank God. I knew this wasn't going to work out, but I didn't know why. So we'd go and correct <laughs> And then, uh, then one time I met, I, I saw him at the mall 
in the Sioux. It was around Christmas time and he walked into the mall and he's like, he was a, a big guy, kind of looked like Fred Flintstone, uh, hmm. but he was a you know, normal guy, kind of tall, maybe six feet tall, uh, uh, normal sized guy, but he was, uh, he walked into the mall, he was wearing a little tiny cowboy hat on the top <laughs> of his head. I don't know what was going on, but it wasn't, it didn't even like fit a his head, it was just on top of so his head. It had to be like a costume or something. He didn't seem like he was in costume. His family weren't in costume at all. He was just wearing this little tiny cowboy okay. hat. Maybe he lost a bet? I don't know. Okay. But now that I'm getting a little bit older, he was probably about 45 or 50 when uh, when he was teaching uh, at my high school. And so that's about the age I'm at now. I'm going to start looking around for a little tiny cowboy hat. Oh, you have and to. Maybe I understand it a little more. If you're walking into the mall with your family and you're wearing a little tiny cowboy hat, it would be entertaining for me. Yeah. Because uh, it, it would annoy my family to no end, embarrass them like crazy, and I would fucking love it. I think it's so a great I'm, idea. I want to try it. Like, it wasn't like a pink hat or it wasn't like a, a Woody from Toy Story hat or anything fancy. It was just a regular cowboy hat that was really small. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> the other the other possibility is that he just really liked that hat and he was like, people be damned. I'm wearing my hat to the mall. I mean, I'm a hat guy. I can understand. I think I understand it now. But All he right. was my favorite, uh, favorite teacher. And he kind of reminds me of, or Eugene reminds me of that. So I could see Eugene as being... Uh, a high school teacher. So I think that makes perfect sense. For maybe sure. Maybe it's the summer vacation. You know, maybe the kids aren't in school at the moment and maybe he's a teacher and he will be going back to school in September. Maybe he will. Or what Rita says, you know, he committed a crime in the first day of being there and they're like, yeah, maybe we need to take a pause on you teaching the high school kids. Yeah. So who knows? Thank you, Rita, for that. Uh, last but not least, here comes a call from Emma. Hey up guys, it's Emma from Leeds here. Um, just a couple of things that I've been thinking about the last few weeks that aren't particularly about this episode per se, um, but your latest episode made me think about them again. So here we go. Um, first off, Judith is at the Commonwealth. You've both sat wondering in your last episode where the hell she is, um, saying that she is she at Alexandra or is she at Hilltop, but she's at the Commonwealth living with Daryl and RJ in the flat, um, presumably listening to Motorhead on repeat. Um, but the main point I was going to make about this is how the Motorhead record is a nice little throwback to, I think it was season three, when um, Merle had just let Michonne go. He was going to take her to the governor and then he let her go. And then he drove to the governor um, and tried to attract loads of zombies on his way by blasting Motorhead uh, out of the car really loudly. Um, so, yeah, I thought it was a nice little nod to that when Judith asks Daryl if he's ever heard them before and he says yeah that's that's the good stuff um, probably made him think about his brother because apparently he was a fan um, also I might be way off base here um, and probably should have just gone back and done my own research but um, have Gabe and Rosita broken up because we don't seem to have seen much of them together at all this uh, this part of the season and I seem to remember when they first showed everyone living in the Commonwealth um, Rosita was going to do her night shift and she bumps into Gabe and he offers to take Coco back to his place to babysit her, not back to their place um, which assuming if they were still together they would be living together um, and Rosita almost seemed taken a little back by his offer as though she was surprised to be willing to babysit her um, and in my mind presumably despite them breaking up um, 
But yeah, I don't actually recall a breakup scene. I remember her being annoyed at him for going off on one of the missions and leaving her and Coco behind. But I don't know if they actually sort of concluded that with a breakup or if I've just made this up in my head or um, I don't know. Might be right, might be wrong. Maybe you can shed some light on that. Um, anyway, just some thoughts that I've been mulling over and thought this was a good time to call in with them because it was a very Gabe-centric episode this week and also because you guys had brought up Judith because you thought she'd just vanished into thin air. So I thought I'd mention the motorhead thing. Anyway, thanks very much. Absolute regards. Bye. Thank you, Emma. So first of all, Jason, the Judith thing. Yeah, we're idiots. Rarely have I felt dumber, actually, to be honest, doing this when like, where the hell is Judith? Oh, yeah. We just saw her at the Commonwealth. What? You mean there's zombies in this show? I never noticed them. That's weird. People called me out on Twitter for that. Oh, yeah. So they should. Like This is right along the same lines of uh, walking past the fire station and uh, saying, hey, where did that? Was that tree there yesterday? Yeah. And it was obviously there. You're just a moron. Right. Uh, yeah. Okay. So. Yeah. So Judith at the Commonwealth, uh, feel dumb, but thank you to everyone that pointed it out. And, uh, you know, I really, we, we should feel kind of dumb because it's not like, we should. it's not like we haven't seen her since season three. You know, if you forget something that's eight years ago. Yeah. Yeah. Fine. But, you know, to forget something from like one episode, maybe two. Oh my God. Come on. Yeah. No, I, I you know, if I try to be kind to myself, I try to, and I have these, uh, these, brain issues. I like to, I, I like to try and be kind and think of myself as an absent-minded professor type. Uh-huh. Where, lovable. Uh, lovable, uh, and, uh, you know, uh, knowledgeable about certain things, but, uh, every once in a while, something obvious just kind of slips past me. Just a little forgetful. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that's how I prefer to think of myself and not a complete moron as is more, uh, reality. Right. Well, absent-minded professor wearing a little tiny cowboy hat. That would be yes, a good Yes, of course. Good little look. tiny cowboy hat. All right. And then Gabe and Rosita, have they broken up? That's a really good question. It kind of feels yeah. like it, but we haven't, we've barely seen them together, you know, this season and, uh, or at least recently. Um, I think maybe the, uh, you know, in, in, in the modern world, whether it be, you know, 10 years into the zombie apocalypse or this modern world that you and I live in, uh, you know, formalized pair bonding uh, may not be a thing anymore, you mm-hmm. know, in maybe 50 years, we won't have that. It won't be a thing at all. It'd be just like, uh, nobody really like needs to label anything. It's just, it is what it is. And, uh, you know, at the moment they happen to live in two different places and, uh, uh, are maybe they're, you know, uh, I know what you're saying. Living or not really living together, but they're just kind of, uh, doing stuff together and sometimes they don't do stuff together and then maybe they do stuff with other people. Uh, so, you know, it's, uh, you know, why put a label on Maybe they just live in adjacent apartments, right? Like, you know, they, some people, some married couples sleep in different bedrooms because they have different sleep preferences, like how dark it is or noise machine versus no noise machine or whatever. Yeah, snoring versus not snoring or, <laughs> right. you, know? Uh, you know, violent punching and kicking while you're sleeping because that shit happens. Of course. Like there's just, there's just things like that. Um, so who knows? Like uh, we definitely didn't get a breakup scene that I can remember, uh, but, you know, they're just doing their thing and whatever their thing is, is their thing. So, you know, I don't know. But uh, either way, he seems to be involved to some degree in Coco's life and her life. And, uh, he 
was looking after the baby while she was off wearing her awesome white trooper armor and knocking on doors. And I'm pretty sure that when uh, Jasper gets to be about uh, 18 or 19, uh, I think probably uh, polyamory is going to be a, a very normal thing. Or they won't just have boyfriends and girlfriends. They'll just have people that they uh, hang out with. And, uh, you know, it's like, a, you know, I'm really getting along with my girlfriend, but uh, my boyfriend's mad at me. Oh, sure. Right? It's, you know, uh, so that's good. that's probably going to be a normalized thing that I'm going to have to deal with when I, as, uh, as he grows up. Well, you know, I mean, you'll just have to figure it out. Well, it, and it's fine. You know, it's just I, I don't understand it. It's not something that I would uh, be able to handle. But uh, if it's a normal thing that uh, that he grows up with and is normal, that's fine. He's going to be much better at fucking computers than I ever will be. He's figured out shit on the iPad that I didn't know how to do. <laughs> it's just going to be second nature to him, and it's something I had to learn. Yeah. Well, there's lots of things in life like that, you know? A lot changes. Shit changes fast. And he's in kindergarten, he already knows fractions. Uh, like, how how does that even happen? I don't know. I mean, he can probably do more math than you can do at this point. Yeah, he knows how to, he divided half into half and he knew it was a quarter. It's like, well, how, how the hell do you five? How do you figure that out? It's like, well, they taught us in school. It's like, what? What do you mean? <laughs> what What the hell are schools teaching you these days? <laughs> Yeah, he's going to know more than I ever did. Yeah, well, that's good. That's a good thing. Yeah. All right. Thanks, everyone, for calling and writing in. That was amazing uh, and super fun. Before we end the day here, I'll just let everyone know that, you know, our Patreon prize of Palooza continues on, and we will have a new prize for episode uh, 14 that's coming up. Well, already out for many of you, but coming up next week for us when we recap it. And the next prize, I think, is a pretty cool one, Jason. It is, do uh, you remember Alpha, the character Alpha? I do. I do what I do. Do you recall her belt buckle? Uh, I remember her belt buckle being a thing, but I don't recall the actual look of it. So, in my mind's eye. Is in, like a snake? In the, in the shape of a figure eight or an infinity symbol. Oh, okay. Yeah. You know, a snake. There's a, there's a term for that where the snake is eating its own tail in the shape of a infinity. Yeah. There's a, there's a term for that. Well, that was her belt buckle. And what I have is a bottle opener shaped like that. So in one of the coils is like a bottle opener piece that you can use to, you know, crack the cap off a bottle. Um, and it's this really nice metal feeling thing, you know, has a good weight to it and stuff like that. And uh, if you were really crafty, you might even be able to turn it into an actual belt buckle. I don't know, but it is pretty cool. And that is our prize for uh, next week. So if you want to get in on that, potentially go to patreon.com slash the talking dead and become a patron of the show. And you are in on the draw for each of the remaining episodes of the walking dead one prize per episode that's the next one the alpha belt buckle bottle opener do you have any of the walking dead bottle openers left the little podcast ones we did way yeah. back in the day i yeah. do i do i think i have one or two it, it was actually a bottle opener usb stick it was a bottle opener usb stick it was made out of plastic so you couldn't open a fucking bottle with it because it would break i mean you could but yes it's not a very good bottle opener uh it wasn't a very good USB stick. Well, what are you going to do, man? I mean, we were looking for 
uh, you know, swag to give away when we were like went to conferences and stuff and so on. So we had a bunch of these made and, uh, that was probably the first thing we ever had made with the podcast logo on it. The old podcast logo. And it's, yeah, it's got, uh, yeah, I got one sticking around here somewhere, kicking around, but yeah. Yeah. Uh, the, the idea was like USB stick. So we put a bunch of our episodes on it. Like, like the first five or something? Something like that to give people a taste of the show to like get it around. I handed one right to Robert Kirkman, gave him nice. one and said, this is my podcast about your TV show. And he thanked me and put it in his jeans pocket and who knows oh what happened God. to it from then. Do you think that's in a drawer someplace in his house? Uh, either that or the garbage can of his hotel room. I don't know. <laughs> uh, no, I, I'm, I'm going to fantasize about it just being in a junk drawer somewhere in his house that he's forgotten about. There's all this frigging crap. There's old charging cables. Yeah. There's a frigging, uh, an adapter to something and old USB sticks and, and, uh, and someday stuff he's, like that. He's going to pull it out and one of two things are going to happen. One, he's going to put it in his computer and be like, huh. This is, this is a podcast about my TV show or my comic. The other thing, he's going to try to open a bottle with it. It's going to break and he's going to throw yeah. it in the garbage. <laughs> well, here's the thing is that you never take a USB stick that someone has handed you and plug it into your computer. Well, never, ever, ever. Don't even plug cables that you find because you can put uh, uh, memory in cables and have them be secret USB sticks. So you don't even use cables that you didn't purchase at a store. Yeah. Never plug anything into your computer that you find or that somebody has handed you. So if, if that's sitting around in his house, chances are it's going to just sit there until the house is torn down or be thrown out. Oh, yeah, out. yeah. Yeah, it's going to be... Uh, uh, I have stuff like that. I have whole boxes of stuff that uh, most likely uh, Jasper will have to deal with someday. Right. Well, <laughs> and I'm I I'm aware of exactly what I'm doing. This is complete garbage that I will never think about again. Uh -huh. That is going to be dealt with at some point in somebody's lifetime. Like your electronics archive box that's behind you on the shelf. Yeah, all my iPads and stuff. I'm just like, what the fuck is this? The Palm Pilot? <laughs> what the hell is a Palm Pilot? Oh my God. Well, anyways, I gave one of those to Robert Kirkman. I still have a few hanging around. Uh, so yeah, I don't know what to do with them. Maybe I'll throw one into a random prize pack or something like that. Um, and just, you know, even though uh, you're not supposed to plug anything in, they're fine. There's yeah. nothing on them that's wrong. Like, you could trust us, right? You can. It's just five, I think, episodes of early episodes of this podcast. So, yeah, there you go. Anyways, uh, Patreon prize of Palooza, patreon.com slash the talking dead. The next prize is the alpha belt buckle bottle opener, and it could be yours if you become a patron before <laughs> the next draw, which is on Monday night. All right. Uh, speaking of that, that will be our recap episode of season 11, episode 14. The title is The Rotten Core. So get your title reads in if you want to be included on that podcast. And otherwise, uh, we're all done here for the evening. So to get in touch with us, you can visit the website at talkingdeadpodcast.com, clicking on send voicemail at the top, and you can record a message that will come straight into us. Uh, you can also find us on Twitter at Talking Dead. If you want to call us out for forgetting where Judith is, be my guest. Uh, yeah, please. We deserve it. We deserve your ridicule. A hundred percent. Totally. Uh, and then uh, email to talkingdeadpodcast at gmail.com. All right, everyone. 
Thank you so much for tuning in and everything else. Until next time, my name is Chris. My name is Jason. Thanks for listening. Ciao. I don't know why you're not more nervous. Oh. Cause I'm making it up. But I have been delirious Ever since that day that you told me I made you throw up You know guys like me should be strung up For everything I've thought and said and done But could it be Could it be you and me, oh, we're two of the lucky ones. Yeah, we're two of the lucky ones. Lucky one.